Last weekend, I had the, the honor of attending um, a memorial service for a very dear friend of mine, a, a life mentor of mine, a man by the name of Pastor Jack Hayford. Jack had, had poured into my life with friendship and love and wisdom and kindness and counsel for over 50 years. He was a dear friend. Um, and I'll, I'll miss him very much. But he, he shared a story one time that I just, I, I got to share with you. Uh, he, he traveled a lot because he taught all over the world. And he always tried to fly in the same airline. So he had a lot of status, uh, which meant that whenever he would fly, the, the airline would just automatically give him a, an upgrade to a first class seat because of all of the, the travel he did with him. Well, there was one particular trip that he had to make, and at the last minute, there were a bunch of changes that happened in the schedule, and he wound up having to change his plans and take an airline that he never flew anywhere. So he had no status with these people. They didn't know who he was. And uh, so needless to say, he did not get his first class upgrade. <clears throat> not only that, the only seat available on the plane was in the back row in the middle seat. So he was not happy. Actually, to use his words, he was cranky. So, but he thought, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. It's a two and a half hour flight. I'm just going to power through it. I'm going to get out my notes. I'm going to take that middle seat. I'm just going to focus on my stuff. I'm not talking to anybody. I don't want any conversations. I don't want to be interrupted. I'm just going to focus on my, my notes here, power through this, and get ready for my, my sermon tonight. Well, when he got to the back row of the plane, on the aisle was a businessman and in the window was a young woman who he could tell at first glance was, was somewhat mentally impaired, mentally handicapped. So he took a seat between the two of them, got his notes, <clears throat> focused, and he said about 10 minutes into the flight, this young woman tapped him on the arm and she said, do you brush your teeth? <laughs> he just kind of grinned at her. He said, well, yeah, I, I brush my teeth. She said, that's good, because if you brush your teeth, you won't get cavities. And she went back to her window. The guy sitting next to him kind of grinned, you know, and, and so Jack goes back to his notes. He said about three or four minutes later, she tapped him on the arm again. She said, do you smoke cigarettes? He said, no, I, I don't smoke cigarettes. She said, well, that's good, because if you smoke cigarettes, you, you could get cancer. And she turned back to her window. He goes back to his notes. Said another three or four minutes went by. She tapped him on the arm. She said, do you love Jesus? He said, yeah, I love Jesus. She said, that's good, because if you love Jesus, you can go to heaven. And then she said, ask that man next to you if he brushes his teeth. <laughs> And for the next two and a half hours, Jack carried on this conversation with this man about Jesus. You see, you never know when the opportunity will present itself for a life-changing conversation. And you may have no interest in talking to anybody, but God has other plans. And he makes a way, even if it's a simple, do you brush your teeth kind of question. <laughs> this week, we are in our third week of the One Life Campaign, if you want to take your, your message notes out. And in your small groups and in your uh, One Life Journal, we're looking at cultivating conversation and particularly how to tell your story, 
the story of the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. And I want to begin by looking at the, really the, the central verse for my message today. It's here on the screen. It's also in your notes. It's 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You don't pound people over the head. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. Somebody joked one time that there are two kinds of people who don't like evangelism. Non-Christians and Christians. <laughs> and it's because we know we're supposed to do it. We know we're supposed to share our faith, but we don't know how. We don't know what to say. We don't know where to start, where to begin. We'd rather just leave it to the experts to do that kind of stuff. Well, I got some news for you. You are the expert. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a minute. But first, I want to share another piece of news that might actually be some good news for, for many of us. And it's this, that we are not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be, we're not gifted to be the next Billy Graham or to preach in stadiums or even on street corners. Evangelism, according to the Bible, is a spiritual gift. So we're not all called to be evangelists. However, we are all called to be witnesses. And anybody can do that. In fact, Jesus said this. Look here on the screen in Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you'll just be a witness wherever you go. In all of your going, you're just going to tell your story. But I want you to notice something about that verse. He did not say that you will be my prosecuting attorneys. And you are certainly not the judge. He said, you're just going to be my witnesses. And a witness simply says, simply tells what he or she saw or felt or experienced, what happened, what difference that it made. You see, it's not your job to save your lost friend. That's God's job. Your job is to tell the story, is to be a witness. The story of what Jesus has done in your life, the difference that he's made, and then leave it to the work of God's spirit to work on the heart of that person. Now you might say, well, okay, so what story am I supposed to tell? Am I supposed to tell a whole story my whole life? No. You have hundreds of stories that you can tell. Hundreds of them. How has God answered your prayers? Those are all stories. How has God changed your life since you met Jesus Christ? What was your life like before? What's it like today? And what difference did it make? That's a story. How's God provided for you? That's a story. How has God comforted you when you were in pain or sorrow or grief? That's a story. How has God brought wisdom and pointed a way, opened a door where there was no way? Those are all stories. How has God set you free from something? That's a story that you can tell of your life in Christ. And you have hundreds of those stories. And telling those stories, that's what witnessing is about. This is what I heard. This is what I saw. This is what happened. This is what I experienced. This is the difference that Jesus made in my life. 
You see, every answered prayer is an episode in the story of your life with Jesus Christ. It's a story waiting to be told, and you're the only person who can tell that story. And you might think, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to talk to somebody about God. I'm not qualified to have any kind of spiritual conversation. I'm not smart enough. I'm not trained in it. I'm not good enough or experienced enough. I'm certainly no saint, and, and I'm really not even an expert witness. Well, yes, you are. You are an expert witness because I can tell you without even knowing you that there is one subject in the world that you are the leading expert and that subject is you. It's your story and nobody else can tell that story. It, your story is a chapter in the ongoing story of how Jesus is changing the world one life at a time. And your story needs to be told. It's being written in the lives of billions of people who have given their lives to Christ and are now following Jesus. And you are the expert witness for your chapter. And you don't have to tell people what you don't know. Don't worry about what you don't know. You just tell them what you do know. And it reminds me of a man that Jesus healed, a blind man that he healed. You can read about it in John chapter 9. We're not going to read it today. The story is too long for, for, for me to read. But you might jot it in your notes. You can look it up later on. John chapter 9. It's the healing of this blind man. And he was not a religious expert. He was just an ordinary man who was touched by Jesus. But he was called before all of these religious leaders who then started to hammer him with all of these theological questions about what had happened. And he said, look, I don't have the answers to your questions. All I know is I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I can see. And there was nothing they could say or do to refute this man's story. You see, people can argue with your theology, and they will, and they can argue with your Bible interpretation and your doctrine, and they will. People can argue with your beliefs and your philosophy and your opinions, and they will. But nobody can argue with your changed life. You are the world's leading expert in the life change that's happened to you. So what is your I was blind but now I see story? How has God changed the way you see things? How's he changed the way you see God? How's he changed the way you see yourself? How has he changed the way you see the world around you? You might say, you know, I was, I was blinded by bigotry, but now I see everyone is created in the image of God. Or I was blinded by envy. I could only focus on what I didn't have. But now I see through a lens of Gratitude. I, I see God as my provider. Or I was blinded by worry, or I was blinded by fear, or I was blinded by, by anger. But now I'm, now I'm at peace. I was broken, but now I'm healed. What's the story that you can share with somebody? Peter says, always be prepared, be ready to tell that story, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So how will they know to ask you? How will somebody know that you have hope? 
Well, they'll know it because they can see it in your life. It's by the way that you live. Witnessing, sharing your story, cultivating conversation is not just about the words you say. It's also about the way you live. And Jesus gives us two really great word pictures about how we are to live in order to cultivate these conversations. And he says this, it's in Matthew chapter five. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, let me pause just a second because as I'm looking at you, I can see that some of you are starting to panic. And you're starting to panic because you're looking at this and you're going, this guy's already been talking for about 10 minutes and he's only here. And I got all of this stuff I got to fill out. I haven't written anything down yet and I'm hungry. I promise you, I'm going to get there. <clears throat> In just a couple minutes, I'm going to get there. And when I do, it's going to go really quick, okay? <clears throat> so don't panic. I'll get there. In fact, if there's someone next to you who's panicking right now, they're twitching with their pen, just say, don't panic. He'll get there, all right? Go ahead and tell him right now. He'll, don't panic. He's going to get there. Now, but I have to give a little context because these words, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we have to know the context of them to understand the implications, the importance of those words for us. Those words are at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. It came at the very beginning of his ministry. And in that sermon, he begins by telling us who his intended audience is. Because the first words of the, of the sermon are, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the ones who are spiritually bankrupt. That's who I'm talking to. He's not talking to a bunch of religious leaders. He was talking to common, everyday, ordinary folks who never would have described themselves as religious experts. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And that was an astounding statement for them to hear. It wasn't just some nice flowery words that Jesus said that you could you know, put on a bumper sticker and slap on the hind end of your camel. There was significance in what Jesus was saying. It was a surprising statement for them, filled with dignity and hope. Because that phrase, the light of the world, was not a new phrase Jesus just made up at, on the spur of the moment. The light of the world was a title that they gave to their most revered rabbis. They called them the light of the world. In fact, there were two rabbis in those days who were called the light of the universe. So only special, holy, meticulously trained, never do anything wrong kind of people, only they were called the light of the world. But Jesus said, wait a minute, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the broken ones. I'm talking to the hopeless ones. I'm talking to those of you who, who feel like you'll never measure up to other people's expectations. Those of you who are just getting started in your walk with me. Because remember, this is at the beginning of his sermon. The beginning of his ministry. He says, I'm talking to you that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the people are thinking, this guy's crazy. He doesn't know who he's talking to. I'm not that holy person that he thinks I am. And Jesus is saying, yes, I do know who I'm talking to. 
He had just described it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying, you, the ones who are spiritually bankrupt and who are mourning the condition that you're in and you're starving for God to do something, to put you on a right path. He's saying, you're the ones that I am talking to. Brennan Manning is an author who wrote a wonderful book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I highly recommend it. And in that book, Manning says, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but he comes for the wobbly and the weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Jesus' kingdom is made up of people who willingly admit that their cheese has fallen off of their cracker. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me. I I don't even know where my cracker is half the time. He's, He's describing me, and he says, yeah, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's not the super religious Pharisee. It's not the dead saint hanging from the rearview mirror. It is you, that we have now been called his ambassadors, his representatives. We are his body, and he invites us. He invites you into the wonderful adventure the opportunity to change the world one conversation at a time. Now, why did Jesus choose those two pictures, salt and light? Well, first, let's talk about salt. What does salt do? Well, salt preserves. And salt enhances and improves flavor. Salt purifies. Salt penetrates. Salt transforms, and salt makes people really, really thirsty. And what about light? Well, light dispels the darkness. Light reveals truth. Light brings warmth and illumination, and it helps people see what they're doing and where they're going. And Jesus says, I want you to be the salt, the preserver, the flavor enhancer of the conversation and the culture around you. I want you to be the light giving warmth and illumination and helping people find their way to Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it look like to be salt and light? How do we do that? Well, here's something you can write down. Here's your first fill-in. See, I told you I was gonna get there, all right? So we're there. First thing you can write down. You salt the earth with your words. You salt the earth with your words. I'm going to show you that in Scripture in a minute. But this isn't just about the words you speak. I want to talk about the words that we write, the words on our social media pages. You know, there is enough ugliness and argument and vitriol and bitterness and accusation on Facebook and Twitter. We don't need to add to that. Jesus says, I want you to be the flavor enhancer. I want you to preserve morality and civility and decency in the public square and in your own conversation with people. The Bible says this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Circle that phrase, seasoned with salt. Let your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
So you salt the earth with your words. Now, what kind of words can you use in conversation to salt the conversation? Well, write this down. You can salt the conversation with words of encouragement. With words of encouragement, when somebody is afraid or worried or they're waiting for bad news or they're just getting down on themselves, don't join in that panic, but instead speak words that will build up their faith in God. Remind them of who God is. Remind them of what he has done. Tell your story of how he has changed your life. It encourages other people. Ephesians 4.29 says, when you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. So you salt the conversation with words of encouragement. You can also salt the conversation with words of truth. Words of truth. People need to know that you can be trusted when you speak. You don't speak falsehood. And it's not just about being truthful. It's also about being truth-filled. That your speech is filled with truth from the word of God. You see, the better you know what God has said, the better you will know how God thinks. And the better then you will know what to say in a conversation to just salt it with words of truth. And when you speak truth, of course, we do it in love. We do it, as Peter said, with gentleness and respect. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ. Now, you can also salt the conversation with words of peace. With words of peace, when somebody is argumentative or combative and the whole volume is starting to rise, you don't yell back. The louder you get, the louder they're going to get, and that's not going to get anybody anywhere. We don't stir up conflict with harsh words or with accusations. Instead, salt the conversation with words of peace. The Bible says in Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. What would that look like in your Facebook page? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You can also salt the conversation with words of hope. If there's anything people need today, it's hope. There's so much hopelessness and despair going on people ready to give up. So speak words of hope. Pray with them. That'll give them hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And your words of hope Again, those are your words of witness, your words of testimony, your, story, your I was blind but now I see stories, that I was angry and now I have peace. I was hateful but now I've learned to forgive and to be loving. I was bound up and now I've been set free. All of those stories bring hope and bring peace to people. We speak words of, of kindness, of forgiveness, words of gratitude. Or how about this? Most important, you salt the conversation with words of the gospel. 
Words of the gospel, because that's what's going to really change a person. Ultimately, that is the message they need to hear. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that we were lost and broken and helpless because we'd turned our backs on God. But God took on flesh and became one of us through Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead to give us the hope and the promise of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins, so that anybody who believes in him and receives him, their sins can be forgiven and they can get a brand new start with God. Here's some words of the gospel from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ. Anybody here belong to Christ? Anyone who belongs to Christ. So he's talking about you. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And a new life has begun. You talk to somebody who says, man, I just wish I could start over. That's how they do it. You give your life to Christ and start over. So you salt the, the, the earth with words of grace. Now, how do you light the world? What is that supposed to look like? Well, it's not with your words. It's through your actions. In fact, you can write this down. You light the world with your deeds. You salt the earth with your words, but you light the world with your deeds. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, back in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, you are the light of the world. Now he explains what that means. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Circle that. See your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, it's not enough just to say you believe. You have to live like you believe. You not only salt the earth with your words, but you light the world by your deeds. So can people tell that you're a believer just by the way you live? Do they see the light in the way you live? Does anybody ever ask you, what is it about you that's so different? Why aren't you responding the way other people are? Why aren't you reacting the way other people are? Why aren't you angry like the rest of the world? Does anybody see something in your life that causes them to say, why do you have so much hope? And to give you that opportunity to share that story. Where can you turn the light on right now in your world? What deeds can lead to a conversation? Well, let me give you some ideas of that. You can light up the world with deeds of compassion. Deeds of compassion. That if you see someone who is hurting, somebody who is in need, <clears throat> that you do something about it. You enter into their pain to lift them out of it. There's a difference between pity and compassion. Pity says, oh, I'm so sorry for you. There, there, there. You're going to be okay. That's pity. Compassion is to say, I feel the pain that you're in, and I'm going to do everything I can to help lift you out of that. And you can light the world with deeds of compassion. That's what our grocery distribution is about here at Saddleback. That's what the Peace Center is about. It's showing the love of Christ in tangible ways. The Bible says this in Colossians 3. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, so that's you, 
as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love that he says, clothe yourselves. He's saying, live in such a way that it's as though those things clothe you, that you develop a reputation for compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. Now, you also can light the world with deeds of mercy. Deeds of mercy. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. So what does that look like? Well, here's what this means. When it is within your power to repay an offense with an offense, when it is within your power or your right to repay an insult with an insult, when it is within your power to get even, don't get even. Show mercy. And here's why. There's two reasons. First, it's because you're going to need God's mercy again in the future. And the Bible says God shows us mercy the way we show mercy to other people. But the other reason to show mercy, think about this. Which do you think is more likely to lead a person, to cause a person to come to Jesus Christ? Getting even with them or showing them mercy? Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. He says you pray for them. Now that doesn't mean that you pray they'll get a flat tire and wind up in a ditch, okay? He says pray for them the way you want to be prayed for. Pray that God will bless them the way you want to be blessed. If they don't know Jesus, Pray that they find him, that they meet him, they give their lives to him. Pray for whatever pain or brokenness is going on in their life that is causing them to be unkind. He says, don't hate them, don't speak evil of them, love them and pray for them. And you can also light the world with deeds of generosity. Deeds of generosity. The Lord gives to you so that he can give through you. God doesn't want you to hoard. He wants you to live with open hands. God doesn't make money just fall miraculously from the sky. He gives to us so that he can provide through us to people who are in need. God is a generous God, and he wants us to learn to be generous as well. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, command God's people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now you can also light the world through deeds of selflessness. Selflessness, of putting other people first, of living sacrificially. The Bible says in Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. So deeds of compassion, deeds of mercy, deeds of generosity, Deeds of selflessness. This is why the peace plan is so important here at Saddleback. It's all about salting the earth with words of grace and lighting the world through deeds of grace. It's showing people how much we care so that they will then want to know what is the reason that you have so much hope. But get this. You cannot eliminate darkness with salt. 
You can't just sit there and talk about the darkness and say, oh, it's so horribly dark over there. It's so horribly dark in our culture. It's so horribly dark. We're just going to, let's just hide over here and talk about it until the darkness goes away. That's not going to do anything. Instead, you just turn on the light through deeds of grace. Turn on the lights. We have to shine our lights, as Jesus said, like a city on a hill. So people will see the difference in our lives. They'll give glory to God and find their way to Jesus. They'll find their way home. And we can't do that if we are hiding behind the walls of a church. Stockpiled salt and hidden light are useless. The church, you know this, the church is not a building, it's people. And it's people who are doing God's work in God's way in the world that God loves. Did you know that God does not hate the world? He loves the world. That's what John 3.16 is all about. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for it. God does not hate the world. He loves the world. Not the ways of the world, the people of the world. And he wants to love the world through you. And God is not afraid of unbelievers. You don't have to be afraid of them either. I've known people who just want nothing to do with people that don't know Jesus. They just want to get them out of their life and have nothing to do with them. They're afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of unbelievers. Here's what the Bible says about that. Again, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's here on the screen. Peter says... Dear brothers, you're only visitors here. And since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil people of the world. Is that what that says? Is that what that says? No, that's not what that says. He does not say keep away from the evil people of the world. He says, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of the world. The evil pleasures. Not all pleasures are evil. Stay away from the evil pleasures of the world. They're not for you because they fight against your very soul. Instead, he says, be careful how you behave among, not apart from, not hidden from. Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they're suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. So you don't have to be afraid of the world. God is not afraid of the world. He loves the world. And he wants to love the world through you. Through your life-changing conversations. No matter when they happen, no matter how they start, even if it's do you brush your teeth, God wants to do something through you to start that conversation. Let me give you just a a picture of what this means about not being afraid of, of the world, of being impacted or somehow sullied by the world. <clears throat> Many of you who, who, uh, who know me know that I love food. I am a foodie. Food is my love language. You can probably tell looking at me there's some love going on here. I love food. And, <clears throat> and one of my very favorite things in the whole wide world to eat is swordfish. I love swordfish. Now, don't talk to me about mercury. I don't care, okay? <clears throat> I really don't care. I love swordfish. And I, you know, you get that, that kind of thick captain's cut and I put it on the grill 
and I just kind of baste it with a little olive oil and butter and lemon and cook it just right, you know, with the cross stuff from the grill on it, 130 degrees. Plate it up with, with uh, grilled asparagus, a little rice pilaf. Anybody getting hungry? Yeah? I'm going to have swordfish tonight, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> and you plate it up, and it's just perfect. It will change your life if you've never had this before. Now, <clears throat> but here's the thing, is when I get that beautiful plate of swordfish sitting on the table, before I take my first bite, I put a little salt on it. Now think about this. That swordfish has spent his entire life in salt water. <laughs> but it doesn't taste salty. If God can keep a swordfish in salt water without it tasting salty, he can certainly keep you in the world without you tasting like the world. You don't have to be afraid of it. Instead, salt the earth with words of grace and light the world with deeds of grace. So let's, let's be people this week who cultivate conversations. Let's be people who look for opportunities to say the right thing, who look for opportunities to do the right thing, to fill the world with the grace of God. I wanna finish by looking at Three verses of scripture, back to back. Look here on the screen. A couple of them we've already looked at, so we're reviewing them. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's make a difference this week. Let's pray about this. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, for telling us how to live. Lord, I thank you for the stories, the hundreds and hundreds of stories of changed lives because of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for inviting us into this wonderful adventure, the privilege of changing the world one conversation at a time. And as I pray, why don't you just let my prayer be your prayer. Just say, me too, Lord. But Lord, thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for changing my life. Lord, would you help me to be a person who changes the world? Help me to be a person whose speech is always filled with the salt of grace. Lord, help me to be a person who lights up the world through deeds of grace. Lord, I pray that people will hear what I say, that they will see what I do, that they will give you praise and glory and open their hearts to you. Lord, please use my life to change the world one conversation at a time. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.